while. We have some text messages, I believe. Yes, we do. Uh, okay, vaccinations of children without parental consent, state-sponsored breaking of the commandments of God. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Oof. And honour your father and mother. <laughs> That's actually... When, That's a really good point. When uh, this is a really, I hadn't thought of that point before. And, and when the person sending this text message through said that, you know, vaccinations were state-sponsored breaking of the commandments of God, I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, I don't ever remember reading in the Ten Commandments anything that says thou shalt not vaccinate. <laughs> Where's this? Where is this text going? And then I've read that and I've got, ooh, that's a really good point. Ooh, ouch! And this is the thing: if if the government is telling children that it's okay to lie to your parents, mm. what kind of a society are we creating? Yeah. If a government is teaching, if we are training our children in schools to tell lies, mm. what kind of a harvest are you going to reap from sowing those seeds? And ultimately, like, again, I just want to state, like, the point is not that vaccines are good or bad. It's that no. transparency within society yes. is so important. Absolutely. Giving people choice and transparency. So in case you missed the story, uh, in Washington, D.C., they've enacted legislation that they can uh, vaccinate your children at school without parental consent and that the uh, in, the medical insurance companies are banned from sharing that information with the parents and that there will be two medical records, one that contains the record of the vaccination, which the doctors get to see, and one which on which there is no record, which the parents get to see, and if they look at their children's uh, medical record, there will be no record that the child got vaccinated. And this is all done on the child's consent. Mm. And so it opens the door, obviously, for bullying. This is pretty full-on stuff. Yeah. That was the story that we talked about earlier. I was just doing my head in, to be honest. Um, but, you know, that's that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you're basically, yes, you're telling, you, 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 are, you, are taking, you are sending your children to school where their teachers tell them, you need to be vaccinated, you know, and there's a massive power differentiation between the two, and don't tell your parents. Mm. You know what that 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 is classic grooming right there. Mm. Oh yeah, that is classic that is grooming. That, that, this, this is that how grooming is works. This, this is how grooming works with pedophiles. Think about this for a moment because this just occurred to me as well. Pedophiles tra- train children to lie to their parents. That's mm. where they start. Mm. Once they've trained the children to lie to their parents, then they begin to abuse the children. Mm. These children are being set up for abuse. Yeah. Of, the scary stuff. Of course, like, we're not making the point that, like, you know, yeah. The, no, I'm not anti-vax. Or, no, no, anti-vax or that, like, oh, the teachers are all abusers. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not saying that but at all. it opens I'm saying the that, window. I'm saying, I'm saying the, the precedent that is set here and the door that has been opened, mm. because we know that there are a percentage of teachers that are abusers. Mm. Uh, that's just a simple fact. That's, yes. that's humanity. That's the world that we live in. Mm. And you've just opened the door right there. Legally opened the door. It's just yeah, wow, wild, wild, wild oh, stuff. Intense. Um, obviously, those who want to pass this law don't believe in the law of God. Well, that's clear. Um, <laughs> but they'll be judged by it. All right. Uh, another one here says: Last night I watched the first presentation of the end. I really appreciate the quality of the message. Well done. Can't wait till tonight's presentation. Well, me either. Mm. I'm so excited about tonight's presentation. Um, Sharissa Tarosin and myself will be sharing it together once again, as we will each night. And we're going to be talking about a prophecy that was made two and a half thousand years ago. Yeah, wow. That's a long time back. I don't Mm. know about you, Lawson. Can you predict the future of our world and where, you know, uh, our world will be in two and a half thousand years from now? I couldn't tell you where the world's going to be in two and a half years. 
I couldn't tell you two years ago <laughs> yeah. where the world would be now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know where it's going to be tomorrow. I'm going to come in tomorrow morning, open up my computer at stupid o'clock in the morning, start researching stories to find out where the world is because I don't know where it's going to be tomorrow. It, it, That's that, what I do every day. I think what is such a good point with this is that then, you know, I could make pretty basic predictions. Yes. I could be like, oh, in the next 20 years, the states and territories of Australia will still exist. You know, it's a pretty easy prediction to make because they existed 20 years ago. Uh-huh. But... When we're talking about two and a half thousand years ago, someone made a prediction that wasn't that, oh, in the next 20 years. No, they made a two and a half thousand year long prediction. They did. did. With lots of details, lots lots of stipulations. We're talking about something that only God can do. And one of those those stipulations that is in that prophecy, uh, there has been uh, around about... 15, 16, I'm going to go with 1,600 years worth of attempts to defy it. Wow. And they've all failed. They've all failed. You know, 1,600 years of trying to change this prophecy is a pretty decent length of time. And it's a decent effort by powerful people too. Oh, yeah, I'm talking about the most powerful people on the planet. Mm. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. So, yes. Do tune in. Do tune in. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be amazing. All right. Uh, I think that's the end of our text messages. Yeah, we had a few come in here. Uh, we've already answered all of those ones, and so we can get back to our Bible study time. And just a quick uh, a quick reminder as we get into the Bible study, if you don't have the Faith FM, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they're like, oh, I listen to Faith FM Breakfast Show on my way to work every morning. It's so good now that I've got the app. I never used to listen to it before because it was kind of frustrating because I kept driving out of the signal. Mm. And this is not unusual because people have long commutes these days. Mm. You know, If you're commuting from the central coast to Sydney to go to work, then you're not going to be able to follow the same radio stations the whole way, which is frustrating. You've got to be changing. You've got to change stations three times on that journey. Uh, and that's you know with the big commercial uh, high-power transmitters. Get the app. You can drive around Australia. You can drive around the world and listen to it and have a clear signal the whole way and Mm. just run it through the Bluetooth on your car. All right, that's your solution right there. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 2. Let's go there. Let's go. Revelation, last book in the Bible. Chapter 2, which verse? We're going to read some pretty heavy verses here. We're going to read verse 8 and 9. All right, Revelation chapter 2, 8 and 9. The Bible says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy to, of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because the synagogue belongs to Satan. Okay. I want to focus in here on the last bit of this verse mm. where the Bible talks about about those who so say they are Jews and are not, but belong to the synagogue of Satan. Mm. Now, we of course need to bring this prophecy, which is written in you know symbolic language, into the modern era and understand what the Bible is actually talking about. Uh, when the Bible talks about the synagogue, okay, so what is a synagogue? Well, a synagogue for Jesus, like a place of worship. Yeah, it's a place of a place of teaching. Yeah, it's a place where you go and study the Bible. Yeah, essentially. So it's the closest thing to church that there was in the time of Jesus. Mm. Uh, It's a little bit different from what we do in church, but, you know, 
worship styles evolve over time. And, of course, getting together and reading the Bible together, that's clearly clearly an act of worship. Yeah. Okay. And this, this is where they would go on the Sabbath day. They would, you know, Jesus went to the went to the synagogue every Sabbath to read and study the Bible. That was what Jewish people did. Mm. Okay, so let's let's then think about this in the context of church. And the Bible here is speaking about the church of Satan. Certainly, something that none of us want to belong to. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right. Awesome stuff. All right, back to our Bible study. We're talking about the synagogue of Satan. Synagogue of Satan, yes. You don't want to belong to the church of Satan. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, when I worked in Sydney, there was a church of Satan just not far from my church. Mm. I didn't go there. I did meet several people who belonged to it. Yeah, you know, wow. Going out door knocking in the community and so forth. and like, yeah, we're Satanists. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. We'd have always have good conversations. Um, kind of confronting in a way. Mm. It's like... You usually meet people who are not so blatant about being on the opposite side. Mm. Whereas when you meet a Satanist, like, yeah, we're on the opposite side. Yeah, well. We're on completely opposite sides. You know, I meet somebody who is, say, Islamic and we find lots of things in common. Yeah, well. You know, I meet somebody who's Buddhist and we can find lots of things in common. Whereas when I meet a Satanist, like, yeah, okay, what you believe in, we believe the opposite. Yeah. You believe in dying to self, we believe that. God is within you. God, you you are God. Yeah. I'd love to know, were they like theologically Satanist? Like they believed in Lucifer or were they were like atheistically Satanist? The, the ones that I met were theological Satanists. Oh, wow. Rather than atheistic Satanists. Mm. Yeah, because you do have uh, atheistic political Satanists. Mm. Uh, very, very different category of Satanists. They're actually, uh, they don't believe in you know anything supernatural. Uh, but they 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 use you know Satan or Baphomet or something like that as a personification of the forces of nature. Mm. Uh, the ones that I find the most confronting are the ones who are like yeah no Satan's uh, he's he's powerful being supernatural being and and we're in contact and we we have conversations together and and you know they talk about Satan in much the same way that we would talk about Jesus. Mm. Have a relationship, have a connection. Oof. Yes. Heavy. Heavy stuff. Anyway, the Bible says that these people belong to the Church of Satan. How did they get there? How do they how do they become to belong to the Church of Satan? What does it what does it say there in verse nine? Well it says that they are you know, the they are they say they are Jews. Yes. Um they are blaspheming them and opposing them. Okay. Let me read it from my translation. Uh-huh. I know the blasphemy of those that say they are Jews and are not. Mm. Okay, let's put this into New Testament context because this the book of Revelation is about as far into the New Testament as you can get. Yeah. And in the Bible you have two types of Israel. Mm. You have literal Israel and you have spiritual Israel. Interestingly, both of them have 12 tribes, mm. uh, but they're different. And the, uh, the Israel that you have in, say, for instance, Revelation chapter 7 gives you the 12 tribes of spiritual Israel, not the 12 tribes of literal Israel. Mm. And so that gives us a little bit of context here when we read this passage that we should read it in the context of spiritual Israel. And so if we read this in the context of spiritual Israel, spiritual Israel is God's church. And so we could kind of read it like this. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Christians and are not. Mm. What would be a word that we could use to describe somebody who claims to be a Christian but isn't? Like a apostate or a hypocrite? That's the word I'm looking for right there. 
the word hypocrite. Mm. All right. So uh, I'm just super thankful this morning. I'm not one of those, right? <laughs> I, I didn't mean to laugh. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you meant to laugh. Um, okay. So let's be real as we have this conversation that for us as Christians, there are times when we act hypocritically. 100%. Okay, so we need to be real about this, but at the same time we need to also condemn hypocrisy, right? Yeah. Uh, because hypocrisy is wrong and it's a terrible thing and it's something that as Christians, when we recognize it in ourselves, we come clean and you know we yeah. make it right and so forth. And this is like part of the Christian journey. You read in it the is. book of Galatians. Part of the great I, experience. I love like the book of Galatians, how Paul opens the book up with just absolutely condemning Peter. For the way that he yes. was a massive hypocrite. He's like, like, Peter is the leader of the Christian church. Like, the man. Uh-huh. And Paul is writing all about how, oh, you were spending time with all the Gentiles because you were the one that claimed that they were saved by grace and they're a part of the brotherhood. But as soon as people from Jerusalem come, you distance yourself from them because you don't want to look like you're mingling with them because you don't actually, you know. you totally calls him out. Yeah, for hypocrisy. And, 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 and not only does he call him out in the book of Galatians, he did it publicly in the meeting. Yeah. He stood up and called him out. He's like... In front of everyone. Yeah, he's like, you Yeah, you say you follow God, but then you treat these people like this. Like One small correction. James was the leader of the church, but Peter was the man. Yeah. That, I understand that, what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, I just wanted yeah. to correct that for, the, for our listeners' sake because I'm like, somebody's going to call up. And they're yeah, give you a hard time. And yeah, say no, no, no. James was the leader, which he but was. Peter was on the forefront of evangelic, like evangelistic outreach oh, ministry. Yes. All right, and, you and know, Peter's the one. You, how often do you read about James? I mean, chapter fifteen. Yeah. There's a few other places, but Peter's like Peter's really the face of the church. You got someone like Paul, who's the missionary. He's going yes. to all the remote places. Barnabas, Silas, Timothy—the ones that you're reading about in the latter section of the book of Acts. But Peter's like the guy. And, um, and yeah, even in his experience as, and by this point, they're experienced leaders of the church. Like, yes, they are deep into, you know, where they've been wa- preaching for years and they have this experience. And what it shows me is that hypocrisy is. And by something- the way, yeah, Paul hasn't. Paul's new in Christianity. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm. He's the new guy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I butted in. No, but it's good. He's, ca- he's calling the. You know, the, the previous generation of Christian leaders out for their hypocrisy that they're practicing now. And what this ultimately shows us, and I think it's, it's, it's that people aren't perfect, yes. even if they're Christian, like, and that God is so good and graceful and helpful. And he gives us the ability to come out of the struggles that we have with hypocrisy. But what we see here in this section in, in Revelation chapter two is that we have a bunch of people that have been called out of their hypocrisy, but are not leaving. That's right. They are. The the Christians who call themselves Christians, like the A one, uh-huh. the the ones who used it for personal advantage and selfish gain, and they are not Christian. Mm. And now I want you to notice a couple of um, key points right here. Number one is that the Bible uses the word blasphemy mm. in relationship to hypocrisy. That's mm. a pretty strong word. Yeah. And then, just to show how strong this is, God says they belong to the Church of Satan. Mm. You know, if you claim to be a Christian but you're not, you actually belong to the Church of Satan. Yeah, well. And so hypocrisy, I don't know that God could use any like more vivid uh, language right here to call out just how awful hypocrisy is. 
Mm. Okay, so we're going back to Matthew chapter 23, and let's see whether Jesus addressed this at a previous time to the book of Revelation, Matthew chapter 23. And we are going to start in verse 13. Matthew chapter 23, verse Mm -hmm. 13, please, Lawson. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 13, the Bible says this, What sorrow await you teachers of religion and law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourself, and you don't let others enter either. Okay, so Jesus kind of, uh, he calls out hypocrisy here, doesn't mm. he? Let's see if there's a recurring theme. Read for us verse 14. Uh, in 14, oh, didn't I just read verse 14? You read verse 13, didn't you? Or are they just similar? My Bible skips a verse. All right, let me read it to you from the King James Version because Lawson has a dodgy version here. No, seriously, seriously, it actually goes verse 13 to verse 15. Yes. You've been ripped off. I've been ripped off. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. This is why I have the King James Version here. Yes, yes. It's so that I can call you out whenever you're NLT. Gets us into trouble. Good. Let me read it for you. All right, verse 14, here it comes. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. I, I It just staggers me that you get these prosperity gospel preachers and they mm. will suck every last cent out of the most poverty-stricken people on the planet. And Jesus calls this hypocrisy out. He says mm. this is something that is terrible. All right. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Let's get back into our Bible study. Yes, somebody's texted her and says, Lawson, when are you going to get a proper Bible? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is not my Bible. Just letting you guys no, know. this is right. This is true. I have like four Bibles at home. So here's what we have. We have in the studio, we have an NLT and we have a KJV. We have the NLT for easy reading and we have the KJV for when we need to call the NLT out. <laughs> yeah, for theological correctness. Yes, that's right. <laughs> when, we need to, when we need to have theological correctness, we have our KJV here, so we're in, we're in good shape. Because for the most part, if you're in books like, um, you know, the Kings, the Samuels, kind of stuff like that, the NLT is fantastic. Like NLT is really good at narrative. Well, being a, being a paraphrase, it's kind of a devotional book. Mm. That's that's how I sort of look at paraphrases. But when you're dealing with, uh, you know, Jesus, you don't go. Sermons. You don't go to it for doctrinal truth. Yeah. Um, and theological, you know, in-depth theological study. You just don't go yeah. there for that. You, it's yeah. And that's the thing. There are Bibles, and, and, and it needs to be double checked. Yeah. And that's the thing. There are Bibles for that, though. Like this is the point: is yes. the NLT is self-aware. It knows what it is. It's like, hey, this is you know, it's an easy reading devotional book. You've got. The NASB, the KJV, the New King James, the ESV. They're like your... No, you've got the King James. <sighs> Whatever. It's just any okay. story. Okay, 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 okay. I get it, I get it. You're a purist. Man, it's real hypocritic uh, energy from you right there. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where are we up to? Um, oh, we read this. We read this 14, which you don't have. 14, yeah. You don't have. Your Bible Actually, I've got it in the notes. Oh, okay. Notes, yeah. During the song, Lawson went looking and found in the notes at the bottom of the page, mm. he actually does have it. I actually do, but it's a, it's a manuscript discrepancy, and so they leave it out. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> okay. 
All right, where are we up to? Verse 15. Uh, verse 15. Do you have verse 15? Yeah, I have verse 15. Are you sure you have yes, verse 15? Yes, I do. I have verse 15. Okay, so just a, just, a, just a quick review. In verse 13, woe unto your scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Mm. goes on the list there, hypocrisy. Verse 14, woe unto your scribes and, woe unto your scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Mm. goes on the list there, hypocrisy. Verse 15. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you are yourselves. Okay, so a bit of a recurring theme happening here. What about verse 23? Verse 23 continues on. What sorrow awaits the teachers of religious law and you Pharisee hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Yes, you tithe, yes, but you do not, uh, you neglect, sorry, but you do neglect the more important things. Okay, let's go to verse 25. 25 continues on, it says, So awaits teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees hypocrites. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. And verse 27. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurities. Sepulchres are whited. Mm. Okay, so this is um this is a pretty heavy passage here. Yes, that Jesus gives to us, where eight times in between verse thirteen and verse twenty seven, Jesus called the Pharisees and the scribes out as being hypocrites. Mm. Now there were two cl- primarily two classes at this particular time. Uh, amongst God's people and you, the Pharisees and the Sadducees or the Pharisees and the scribes, however you wanted to uh, position them. And the Pharisees, they were pretty much the conservatives. They believed in the law of Moses. They mm. believed in the Torah. They believed in all of the books of the Old Testament. They believed in the traditions. They believed in the commentaries that they'd written. They believed in the laws that they'd written. They had added lots and lots of laws to the law of God to the point that it was pretty much impossible to serve God. Mm. And so that was, they're kind of like your ultra-conservatives. Then you had your ruling class. They were very wealthy. They were Hellenistic. Their primary language was Greek. Uh, they, they were the, one who, you know, the ones who would run the temple and so forth. And they're like, no, we're not going to follow the, all of this stuff that the Pharisees have come up. We're Sadducees. Mm. We don't believe in the judgment. No such thing as the judgment. We don't believe in the resurrection. No such thing as the resurrection. We believe in Greek philosophy. It was kind of where they went. How they got that and mixed it with the Torah, I have no idea. And how you can read the Torah and not believe in either the judgment or the resurrection is beyond. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> that was that was kind of where they came from. And, of course, what had happened was that when Alexander the Great had conquered the world, he had worshipped in Jerusalem because of the prophecy of Daniel chapter 8. And so he'd created a perpetual sponsorship for uh, young Hebrew men to go down to his college in Alexandria in Egypt, which was a university center, where they could study, and they studied Greek philosophy, and they came, they went down there as uh, just you know Jewish young men came back as Sadducees, mm. uh, and of course infected you know 
Judah with Sadducee ideas. And so this is something that had been around for a very, very long time, goes right back to the beginnings of the of the Greek rule, and now they're living under Roman rule, and the Sadducees have become a major ruling class. Mm. And Jesus is calling both sides out, and he's like, both, both your sides are wrong. And I think that we see exactly the same thing in our world today, particularly when we look at the big issues that are happening in our world today. Mm. You see, you know, those on the left, the liberals on the left, are fighting hard against religious liberty, and you find the conservatives on the right are fighting hard for the union of church and state. Yeah. And whenever you have union of church and state, your religious liberty goes out the window. Mm. And so they're actually both fighting hard for the same thing. And what you're going to find is that with Jesus, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were united. Mm. They were united and they came together to put him on the cross. And this is kind of how it has been with Christianity all along, is that when you have both sides, both the left and the right, united against you, you are possibly closer to where Jesus was than you would be otherwise. Mm. Interesting world in which they lived back then. Interesting world in which we live today. But there's some in, there's some fascinating stuff here about hypocrisy, and you know we talked about those who divide, who devour, you know the. The income of widows. Yeah, wow. Well, I've seen that. Yeah. I've seen people who absolutely have nothing mm-hmm. and they've been promised by some prosperity preacher somewhere in the United States that they're going to have everything if they give their what's left of their nothing to him. Mm. And they'll take their last couple of thousand dollars in their bank account, literally their last, yeah, and just send it to a TV evangelist in America. Mm-hmm. And TV evangelist in America is going to do nothing for that person but continue to hound them for more and more money. Mm. That is the hypocrisy that we're reading about right here. Then on the flip side, you've got those here who are tithing their herb garden. Mm. Every last detail, but as they tithe every last detail of their herb garden, they're nasty. Yeah. They're just not nice people. They are nasty to the people around them. They have forgotten mercy and judgment and faith. They've lost all of those things. Let's not be hypocrites today. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is simply time for... Question of the Day. All right, Lyle, our question of the day is, and Melissa wants to know, does God present himself as male in the Bible? Is that how we are to relate to him? I believe that God clearly presents himself as a male figure in many places, but friends of mine have told me that's a translation problem and he is neither male nor female. And that if we take God as as he, if we take God as uh, like the Bible says, then we must say that only men are saved because the texts that refer to a man and not a woman as well. You know. Uh, also, they said it cuts off people who didn't have a good father and can't relate to God as a man. What do you think the Bible says on this topic? Okay, do you want to know what I think, or do you know? Do you want to know what the Bible says? Uh, probably what the Bible says. All right, right so let's go really with what the Bible what says. Think. Yeah, you never have. So why would you start now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, so um, what I think is irrelevant, first of all, mm-hmm. uh, what the Bible says is relevant, mm-hmm. and uh, the this is not a translational issue. That's the first point right here. Mm. This is not a translational issue because the in in whichever language you're using, whether it's Hebrew, Chaldee, or 
uh, Greek, which are the three languages that the Bible is written in, God is universally, his pronouns are all male. Mm. God's pronouns are, are male. What I find fascinating is that it's kind of amongst... Well, actually, no, I'm going to come back to what I find fascinating first, and we're going to talk about the gender of God. That does not mean that God is male. Mm. Because to say that God is male would be to say that God then has sex organs mm. and that, you know, because that's how we differentiate between male and female is that a male person has male sex organs, a female person has female sex organs, and procreation or the creation of a new life comes as those two join together. Mm. God does not procreate in that way. God create. He doesn't procreate. He creates. He speaks, and it is. God. If if God is a specific gender, as in, for instance, male, then that then you would conclude that there must be an equivalent opposite. Mm. And that's a very slippery slope. I've heard people go down the path where, like, a oh, Holy Spirit is female. You know, God is God. The Father is male. The Holy Spirit is 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 female. That's his wife, and they had Jesus. No. That's not how God works. Mm. Uh, the Mormon Church says that God is a, or well, sorry, the Latter Day Saint Church says that God is a man who has ascended uh, in spiritual hierarchy from another universe or world or wherever, and has a wife who is a goddess. Mm. And 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 so Jesus comes from that. And so no, this is this is not where we're going. God is not a gender as we understand gender as human beings, but God does have preferred pronouns. Mm. And God's preferred pronouns are masculine. Now, first of all, I think it is very dangerous to move away from what the Bible says Mm. and just say, well, we can make any pronouns that we want. Secondly, the thing that fascinates me the most is that those who are quickest to assign either gender-neutral pronouns to God or female pronouns to God are those who are quickest to demand that I use whatever pronouns they choose. Mm. So they can, you can, they can choose their own pronouns, but when it comes to God, they can assign whatever pronouns they want. Mm. Now, not everybody is in that category who is like that. I get that. But that's where you're most commonly going to find it come from, and that is the absolute height of hypocrisy right there. And so I guess, you know, to, uh, to, to bring it all together, if, God, if that's the way God chose to write the Bible, then that's the way I'm going to refer to God. If God chose to use those pronouns, then those are the pronouns that I'm going to choose to use because, you know, if nothing else, it shows respect to God. Mm. Okay, so more than that, the question then asks, well, you know, what about those who have had an abusive father? How can God relate to that kind of person? Just having uh, gender-specific pronouns doesn't mean that all of the places in the Bible are places where God is referred to as a father figure. Mm. Because there are places where, you know, the Bible refers to God, that's Jesus, as our elder brother, which is a different category again. And most people can find comfort in one of those two categories. Now, of course, um, understanding that, you know, okay, those are the pronouns that are being used, but God is not a specific gender, that should be enough to cut through, you know, all of the challenges that people have as they get to know God. Mm. Of course, when it comes to Jesus Christ, that's a little bit different because Jesus Christ is... Um, well, he he was born as a human baby man, you know, male, and remained such. And so Jesus does have gender. Uh, he is a male, and he will forever 
have that gender as being a man. And of course, Jesus is God as well. The Bible says that God is spirit. Uh, the Bible talks about the angels, that they don't have partners, they don't reproduce, they don't marry, uh, which is another aspect where you know we sort of get a glimpse into heaven, but we don't fully understand what heaven is like, and we don't understand what life in heaven is like. Mm. And so you know, there's a whole bunch of questions here that are left unanswered. And because they're left unanswered, I'm comfortable with simply going with what the Bible says. God presents himself in this way. He presents himself not as a female, not as gender neutral. He presents himself as male. And so therefore, let's leave it the way that God gave it to us and not go messing with it. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.